Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Now tonight we are going to get a big bird's eye view of the Word of God, and so what we're going to do is not going to be necessarily um, looking at methods of Bible study per se, but what we're looking at is kind of helping us understand how the Bible works cohesively and together. And so, uh, and so we're going to look at this a little bit more. There are a few charts in the back if you're interested uh, as we talk about the chronological uh, order of uh, the Scriptures and different things. But uh, before we get into that, let me just lay a little bit of introduction here. Uh, and because I want to remind you that the Bible is God's revealed Word. Amen? And so He reveals Himself to us. And so it is a special revelation that God has given us that He is, uh, the Bible says that it was inspired or God breathed and He used the pens of holy men of God. They spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost is what Peter tells us. And so we understand the Word of God is something that we can bank on, we can trust it. But there are people that say, listen, you can't know God. Or maybe people say, listen, I met God in a vision, or I met God in a dream, or another supernatural experience. Uh, and let me just say, the, the, the Bible tonight is the truth of God uh, that has been revealed by God for us. Knowing God can only come from knowing His Word. Listen, every time I open the Word of God, I meet with Him. Every time I, I, I look into His Word, I learn something else about Him. He's real to me, and His Word has spoken in my life and my circumstances, and He has the ability to correct even my thinking. But somebody may ask, how can you know God? How, how can you possibly know God? Well, let me just say, I can know God the same way I know I'm married. If somebody were to, tell me, were to ask me, hey, are, are you married? I say, absolutely, I know I'm married. I've been married for 22 years. Well, they might say, well, how can you know for sure? You can't know for sure that you're married. You can't even know for sure that your wife is real. Listen, I know my wife is real. And, and listen, if you were to say that, I would say, you're crazy. I know she's real. I've lived with her for 22 years. Bless her heart. Listen, I love my wife. I know I've spent time with her. I talk to her. She talks to me. I have a wonderful relationship with my wife, and I'm thankful for her. I, listen, I know my wife is real. I know I have a relationship with her. Listen, no one will ever be able to make me doubt that I have a relationship with my wife. The same is true of my relationship with God. He is real, and I spend time with Him, and He spends time with me. I love God, and guess what? I know He loves me too. My relationship with Him is just as real as my relationship with my wife. In a world that is constantly changing, it's important that we have an anchor for our soul. And it's refreshing that we can come back to the Word of God and be able to find that source of not only an inspiration of what God is, but also to be able to know that God is timeless and His Word is timeless. It's always true and it's always the same. This is the only book that has endured the test of time. 
No other book has endured the test of time. God wrote it and He promised to keep it. Look at the Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. And this is a very common portion of Scripture. If you're a Bible student, you're, you're very familiar with this. It says, the, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Listen, when we open the pages of Scripture, we're opening the mind of God. When we hear its words, we're hearing the voice of God. We are reading a, a perfect book inspired by God and preserved forever. Now look at Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 through 7. Psalms 12, 6 and 7. He says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As tried silver in a furnace of, of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Isn't that good? We think about God's Word and we think about all the many things that changes. Uh, and, and if you're paying attention to politics this week, then you're uh, very well aware of the chameleon-like uh, tendencies that they tend to put on. But our Bible and our God never, seem, never changes. He's always the same. So when we come to the Bible and we open it, uh, what we realize, and we believe this, we're a Wednesday night crowd on a church, and we realize that uh, we open our Bible, we believe without any doubt that it is revelation from God. He reveals Himself to us through the Word. And so and we see this, that as we hold this, it is very dear to us, and that's why this study is so important. How do you go home tonight and spend time with God in His Word, or get up in the morning and spend time with God in His Word, and glean something from it for you, for your family, to share with a friend or a neighbor? That's what's important. In an, in, a, in an age in which Google has become a pastor, in an age where we uh, look to Facebook for our theology, it's important that we go back to God's Word and find what God's Word teaches and not what other opinions teach. Listen, religions will teach you that God keeps giving new words, maybe through books or visions or even modern-day prophets. And let me just say, that is a, a very, very false uh, he has revealed Himself completely through the Bible, and we have all that we need right there in the Word of God. And so we should be passionate about the Bible. We should be passionate about knowing God's Word because it's the basis of everything that is real. And the Bible has been proven time and time by both critics and cynics. It has been proven by physical attack and even skeptical analysis, and it has always won in the battles and the wars that are against it. Matter of fact, if you go to archaeology and you're, uh, you study archaeology, you'll find that archaeologists keep verifying what Bible believers have said all along, that the Scripture is always accurate. For every new discovery of ancient copies of Scripture, more evidence is piled upon the side of the Bible. Listen, listen very closely. The Bible is completely unique. It has been written over a span of uh, 1,500 years by 40 different human authors without any contradiction and with total cohesion. Without supernatural intervention, the Bible would have been impossible. No other book is like the Bible. Let me give you an example if I can. And I borrowed this from a book uh, by Ryan Wrench called uh, Big Idea Bible Study. But he said, he, he gave this illustration. I thought it was very poignant tonight. He says, prophecies of Scripture verify that it is real, that it is God's Word. Only a fool would deny that Jesus Christ was a real historical figure, yet many people still choose to ignore the prophecies that surround the Savior. Scores of prophecies were told hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Prophets wrote down their guesses 
on how this man would live, act, and die, and all of their guesses came true. Some prophets predicted his birth, some his death, some predicted his name, some his lineage, some predicted the timing of his birth, some predicted the place, and all of them were right. Imagine this. Let's put it in modern-day vernacular. He said, imagine this. Ben Franklin, George Washington, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson, and Paul Revere, each one sitting in their own home writing down random predictions about the presidential election of 2008. Now, 2008 was when Barack Obama was first elected president of the United States. What if Ben Franklin wrote, O thou little Honolulu, from thee cometh the future leader of America. Honolulu was not even part of America yet. And at another desk, suppose Thomas Jefferson wrote something like this, He will be president of the United States for two terms. Or George Washington wrote about Barack Obama's wife and two daughters. And suppose several other men wrote about some other aspect of Barack Obama's life. And suppose they were all right. How could they possibly know? How could they have predicted that? That would be impossible. And it is impossible for men, but it's not impossible for God. With God, all things are possible. He knows the future. The Bible says He knows the end from the beginning. In fact, when he wrote the Bible, he did, he, he did tell a bunch of quote-unquote random guys, as this guy said, or prophets, to write a bunch of quote-unquote random predictions we call prophecies about some future prophet we call Jesus Christ, and all their predictions came true. Not one of them was missed. Six, over 61 major prophecies about Christ exist, and they all were fulfilled. Now, mathematicians are really intelligent, and that's way beyond my ability. If I get 2 plus 2 right, I feel like I'm doing great. But mathematicians had to figure out, okay, so if there was just eight prophecies about Jesus and one person fulfilled all eight prophecies, what are the chances that that would happen? They said it would be 1 times 10 to the 17th power. That is way too many zeros. It's even more zeros than Congress can come up with on paper. Listen, if you spread out that, if you were to take that just in silver dollars and spread them out all over across the state of Texas, it would be two feet thick with silver dollars. That's what that number represents. And then the chances uh, of this are even further when, when mathematicians would say, now, that's not quite enough to be able to randomly find that one guy that will fulfill even eight of the prophecies. And so then you have to blindfold a guy and tell him, walk as far as you want, pick out one coin, and we've marked one coin out of all those coins out there, and you've got to pick that one coin and bring it back to us. All across the state of Texas. He says, now you're looking at the chances of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies of Jesus Christ. And there's over 61 major prophecies of Jesus that were fulfilled completely. Listen, only God can do that. The math alone is enough to convince you that the prophecies of Jesus are real. God's Word is real. And that's why we're here tonight. Now we, there's, listen, I'm sure most of us tonight would rather be at home getting a little extra shut-eye this time of year. But instead we say, listen, we're coming to church because, man, I believe God's Word. I believe what Jesus, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture and the fact that it is infallible. There's no errors. It is completely true beginning to end. And as a result, we want to day by day, week by week, moment by moment, walk with God. So let's pray together tonight as we get started. Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, just this reminder tonight as we jump into the study this evening of how good your word is and how true and accurate and that we can trust it. Moment by moment, day by day, Lord, let us apply ourselves, Lord, to knowing you by knowing your word. 
Lord, now bless this time together. May it be profitable for the church body. May it be profitable for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're real about serving God, you've got to be real first and foremost about uh, being in the Word of God. Because, listen, no one can make you love God. No one can make you love His Word. It has to come from you. And so there has to be something in, inside you that can't be stopped that says, listen, I want God's Word. And so uh, we think about our students when they go to camp and they get all fired up at the preaching. They get inspired to serve God. But weeks later, the fire is gone. Why is that? Why is it that adults hear the message? They make a choice to change, but when they leave the building, it never, it never comes to fruition. Listen, we respond to the emotion, but we don't always make necessary changes to see long-term effects. Dave Ramsey, financial analyst, says, Children do what feels good, adults devise a plan and follow it. Listen, he's talking about a budget, but we ought to do that even in our own Bible study, in our own efforts in His Word. Instead of living off of day-to-day -day emotional swings, God wants us to grow steadily, and God wants us to grow consistently, to stay fervent for Jesus Christ. He wants us to have a real relationship with Him. And so our goal tonight, and I'm not going to, uh, it's going to be a little different. I'm not preaching tonight necessarily, but I'm doing a lot of teaching. I'm going to invest in you uh, this evening so you can know your Bible better. And if you're a Bible student, some of you may already know some of the things I'm going to share. But what I want to do is be able to help those who maybe are brand new to the Bible or maybe who just uh, want to understand how the Bible works together. Uh, and so we're going to take a kind of a bird's eye view, look down on it a little bit, and learn a little bit about how all of these things flow together. And so it will help in Bible study to be able to, one, find the book of the Bible that we're looking for, but it also helps us uh, to understand the circumstances in the book, particularly the Old Testament, if we're reading in the Old Testament, to know what historical setting it's found in. And then as we're reading that, then we can understand a little bit more uh, and have a, a better grasp of biblical interpretation as God would have us to use it. And then uh, the application becomes, uh, becomes comes later. But having that biblical under interpretation is very important. So let's look at a couple of things. We're going to look at the catalog of the books of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, say amen. If you don't, grab the one in front of you in the pew. I'm going to teach you something about your Bible. Maybe you already know it, but in front of your Bible, like every book, you'll find this page right here called the Table of Contents. When I first became a Christian and I, and I first was trying to learn my Bible, I found that there is a Table of Contents. So get your Bible, open it there tonight, and, uh, and we're going to look at a couple of things. And the first thing you're going to notice in the, uh, the Table of Contents is what is really obvious in your Bible about the Table of Contents. The books of the Bible, there's numbers, what... The first book of the Bible. All right, Genesis. All right. How about there's two major divisions? Is it like yours? So there's two major divisions in, in the, the books of the Bible. So you have an Old Testament and a New Testament. And, and I know this is very elementary, but I'm going to teach you some things about the Testaments. The Bible, the English form of the Greek is Biblia, meaning books. And the name which in the 5th century began to be given the entire collection of sacred books. It was called the Library of Divine Revelation. But the name Bible was adopted by Wycliffe and gradually came into use in our English language as well. And the Bible consists of 66 different books composed by many different uh, writers in three different languages under, three diff uh, under very different circumstances. Some of them were of great social rank and other one like statesmen. Others were just peasants. Some were kings. Some were herdsmen. Some were fishermen, priests, tax collectors. You can go on and on. They were tent collectors, educators, uneducated people. They were Jews and Gentiles, but most of them were unknown to each other. There's the miraculous part. 
And, and as we see, God used the, these men to be able to catalog for us the books of the Bible. Now, there's two major divisions. And if you open your Bible, you'll find that very plainly there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books, the New Testament 27. The names given in the Old, in the, old, in the writings of this New Testament, so if you look at the New Testament, it talks about the, the scriptures in the Old Testament. So names that we see are like the scriptures or scripture, holy scriptures, the law, the law of Moses. We see even uh, names like the prophets or Psalms, the law and prophets, the Old Covenant, different words that are used to describe the Old Testament. In Psalms 119, Psalms 119 is a beautiful psalm. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. Uh, and, um, and every single uh, passage mentions the, the Word of God. It uses several different words to describe the Bible. The law, precepts, testimonies, commandments, thy word, judgment, statutes, etc. So we see these words are commonly used to describe the Bible. But the term testament has two meanings. As a matter of fact, if you go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, you'll find that, uh, that the, test, the word testament, which is used in our King James in the New Testament, uh, to describe it, and we'll look at Hebrews chapter 9, so you can look there in your Bible in just a moment. But this word means a solemn, authentic instrument in writing by which a person declares his will as to the disposal of his estate and effects after his death. This is otherwise called a will. A testament to be valid must be made when the testative of sound mind, and it must be subscribed, witnessed, and published in such manner as the law prescribes. Now, in your, in your Bible reading in Hebrews, you're going to find that Hebrews talks about this testament in Hebrews 9, 16, and 17. He says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Now think about the life of Jesus Christ. He laid out for us in his living what that testament would look like. He laid out for us his wills and his wishes and his desires. And when Christ died on the cross, then the Bible became a viable document for us to live by and operate thereby. And so what a great reminder there that these testaments have a purpose and a meaning. The Old Testament lays a foundation for us in the New Testament, and we'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. The second definition Webster gives is, is basically very simple, kind of what we would expect. The name of each general division of the canonical books of the sacred scriptures, as the Old Testament and the New Testament. The name is equivalent to covenant, and in our use of it, we apply it to the books which contain old and new dispensations, that of Moses and that of Jesus Christ. So tonight, as we look at this, we're going to look at, now we'll look next at these types of books in the Bible. So we've got Old Testament, New Testament, that's pretty basic. Now, if you look in your, in your uh, contents, table of contents one more time, you're going to, some Bibles will have this already broken down, but I want to kind of give you the divisions that we see in the Old Testament. Now, there's the law, the historical, poetic, and prophetic is how we see these broken up. And there's major and minor prophets uh, that we will look at this evening. Now the law, also known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, are the five books of Moses. And the law legally sets up the terms by which man is to respond to the Lord. And so this is Genesis, Leviticus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what we find here in this passage is, is that these first five books of the Bible make up that law. And they are the foundational building blocks by which all other scripture is built upon. 
from there, and if you read Deuteronomy, you'll find that it is really Moses and his last kind of dis, uh, dissertation to the people of Israel. And, and he is in, in a, in a, then at that point also setting up Joshua as per God commanded at the very end. And then so from there, we begin the historical books. And it flows naturally one from the next because then Joshua takes a leadership and Joshua begins that to tell how they conquered Canaan, how God set them up, the judges, uh, and how that uh, they ruled under that uh, theocratic time where God was uh, ruler over them. And then uh, included in that would be Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. In a moment, we'll take and break these down a little further, but I want to kind of give you the four major divisions that are here. There's also then goes into the poetic books. And the poetic books really reveal man's inner and outer struggles as he seeks to serve the Lord. And so there's Job, there's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now, interesting thing about Job, it was probably the first book ever written in the Bible. It was uh, before even the, the, the Pentateuch and written at a time during which Genesis would have uh, been viable. So he lived during the time of the Genesis. Uh, the next section would be what we call the prophetic books. And, and so there are both major and minor prophets in your Bible. And so these, uh, we'll look at where these fit in the time frame of the historical books in a moment. Uh, and you can, you can cheat and look at the, the, uh, the diagram I gave you on the back. But uh, right now we're just going to identify the major and minor prophets here. And so major prophets would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. And minor prophets would be those that remain. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And so those are the major divisions we have in the Old Testament. And although if we look at the Jewish Old Testament, it contains the same books, uh, but they're going to be in a different order in the Jewish than they are in ours. They're, they're, and, and so I'm not going to go into that as much tonight, uh, but uh, I just wanted to mention that. Now, the next thing uh, that we will notice is would be the New Testament. But between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, a, uh, there's books that people have often asked me about is, um, and because there's a lot of uh, uncertain-sounding uh, preaching out there regarding the Apocrypha. Now, I want to just mention a couple of things about the Apocrypha tonight, just so that you can have an understanding. If you hear this uh, term in preaching, or if you're studying a uh, doing a Bible study and you hear this, the, the term Apocrypha means of doubtful authenticity. This, the Apocrypha is a selection of books which were published in the original 1611 King James Bible, and they actually uh, were contained in, our, in the King James Bible until 1885 when they were removed, and they were removed because they, they were not believed to be uh, authentically inspired by God, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Catholic Bibles today still include these books. They consider them to be deuterocanonical, which means second or subsequent canon. So they count them as part of the canon of scriptures that they hold to. We don't count these as a canon uh, because scripture... Uh, as we look at these in comparison with Scripture, there are inconsistencies with other portions of Scripture. One example I'll give you tonight is found in the book of Tobit, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And just, just uh, I've got it on the screen. It won't be in your Bible because if you've got a newer uh, uh, King James and that's been printed in the last 150 years, then it's not going to be in your Bible. Uh, but it says, So the man did as the angel commanded him, and when they had roasted the fish, they did eat it, and they both went on their way till they drew near to Ekbatane. 
Then the young man said to the angel, Brother Azarias, to what use is the heart and the liver and the gall of the fish? And he said unto him, Touching the heart and the liver, if a devil or of an evil spirit trouble any, we must make a smoke thereof before the man or the woman, and the party shall be no more vexed. As for the gall, it is good to anoint a man that hath eyes, uh, whiteness in his eyes, and he shall be healed. And so it seems to, in these, to point to this kind of uh, idea of almost witchcraft and different things as uh, in, these, in this particular example. That's just one of some other examples. But we do see these books to lend some other uh, understanding, for, uh, especially regarding historical context of what's going, happened in those 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And so, for example, the book of Maccabees is really in, uh, good in understanding what happened uh, with the Maccabean revolt and different things there. So the Apocrypha has some source of historical value, but we would not hold it to the same level of uh, inspiration as we would the Old Testament and the New Testament. A list there, kind of hard to see, but you can see those books that are in the, the, the Apocrypha. Uh, and uh, again, we don't hold those as canonical. They're not part of the divine scripture. Let's look at the New Testament together. The New Testament consists of 27 books, and it gives us the life of Christ. Isn't it wonderful? But it's, listen, it points us to the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. It also demonstrates the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the lives of men. We see the resulting work of God's Spirit upon the church and individuals. And we're also given epistles written to both individuals and churches and, of course, with the prophetic book of Revelation. The New Testament is distinctly Christians. Most other religions will reject it. Broken up again in four different areas. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, historical books are going to include just simply Acts. We have letters, both Pauline and general, uh, that are going to be Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. I believe uh, Hebrews is also part of the, uh, the Paulian letters, uh, but most people just count it uh, as general because he doesn't give, an, uh, give a, uh, I, Paul wrote this uh, type of a verse as he does in others. Uh, then there's James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and the prophetic portion would be Revelation. Now there's also some prophetic information in some of those other areas, but that's kind of the general layout of how that, uh, those are broken up in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we can kind of see as we go through the Bible, okay, so this is kind of how God works. Instead of ordering the Bible in chronological order, what God has done instead for us is He's put it together in types of books. So we have the... In the Old Testament, we have the, uh, the law, and then you have the historical books, you have poetic books, and then you have prophetic books that are all kind of uh, together in their own sections. And so you can look at and find the chronological order, and it may be beneficial for you to understand this. And so there's a chart in the back that I've made available. Uh, one side's a really beautiful color copy. Uh, I think we have a picture of that to put up here, and it is so small you wouldn't be able to read it unless you brought your binoculars. But that's going to help you to be able to break down, okay, I'm reading today in Amos. Where did Amos lie uh, at the bottom? Was it the early days of the nation of Israel, or was it after this, the Israel had split northern and southern kingdom? Or where, does it, where does it go in chronological order? The back side of that, you'll also find just kind of the dates, uh, approximate dates in which they were written, and you can also piece that same together. It might be a little easier to read. So I just included both of those for you if you would like to have that. So if you so looking at this, we want to just kind of look first 
at the Old Testament. The Old Testament, and we're going to look first at this. It's pretty, pretty obvious in the beginning. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those pretty much make up the beginnings. Uh, those, as a matter of fact, the word Genesis means beginning. And so it is the foundational where we came from. Uh, it shows us the beginning of all things, including man and family and government. And we, so we see Genesis lays us out, even the beginning of languages. Uh, and so that is right there in Genesis. And from there, we move to Exodus. Exodus uh, then is where God takes the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and brings them into, uh, uh, into Canaan. And we see how God begins to work there. Of course, they rebelled against the Lord. And instead of coming into Canaan, we can read there where they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Then we go on and we can read Leviticus and Numbers. Leviticus is dealing with the, uh, the, how God ordered the Levites to be able to, uh, to deal with the, uh, the tabernacle and the temple and all of the care in, in those things. And then Numbers is, gonna, uh, is again a part of those things. And Deuteronomy is, is uh, a Moses' final dissertation there to the Israelites. From there, it's pretty ob- obvious what happens next. We go right into the historical. So it flows really naturally in the Old Testament. Now, I will say that those, uh, those, uh, the law uh, was given because God wanted to set forth two major themes that God cares for and responds to man's needs. Also, God has expectations for man in both the way we conduct our relationship with God and the way we conduct our relationship with others. So God had a purpose in all of this, and it becomes very foundational. There's 12 historical books chronologically, they, they could just continue the sequence from the law. So the book of Joshua flows naturally from the book of Deuteronomy, and it's very, uh, very obvious from Joshua then flows into Judges, and then from Judges flows into First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, and then, uh, and then Chronicles, uh, they kind of run parallel together. We'll talk about that in a moment. But historical books are commonly separated again into three sections. So the first one is the pre-kingdom era. And so Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. This is where really they had a theocracy. God ruled over the children of Israel. And during the kingdom era, what we find is that they wanted a king to rule over them like all the other nations in the world. And so Joshua, Judges, and Ruth kind of lay that foundation of the pre-kingdom era. The kingdom era includes six books. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. Now, the interesting thing, if you read through Kings and Chronicles, you're going to notice a lot of similarities and maybe some stories that overlap a little bit. Uh, Kings deals with the kings and the kingdoms. Chronicles is actually deals more, in particular, with the temple uh, and the things that went on there. So you'll find a few more details uh, about the temple in Chronicles that you won't find in Kings because it chronicles more of the historical uh, and the uh, the temp, uh, of the of the temple period as well. And so, listen, these two, uh, these, these six uh, books of the Bible are going to catalog both the United Kingdom under David, uh, under King Saul and King Solomon, those three kings, and then the divided kingdom following that. So that is Israel and Judah and this northern and southern kingdom. They were part of this divided kingdom after uh, Rehoboam and his foolishness there in Jeroboam. And so each kingdom possessed a king. They had its own history and how they responded to the Lord. 
Uh, it was in 721 when Assyria captured the northern kingdom, Israel, that they were taken into captivity. And then 586, Judah was captured by Babylon. And, uh, and then there goes from the kingdom era then, after they were both captured, into the post-kingdom era. And so uh, this would be Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so we're going to also deal with, uh, when we get to the, to the prophetic books, the exile uh, and the post-exile. And so bear in mind that there, that lies right here in this, this time frame between the, the kingdom and the post-kingdom era, right in that time frame. So we'll kind of put those puzzle pieces together also in this that we're putting together. So Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, uh, 70 years, they were bound in Babylon. Uh, and after the Lord miraculously brought them back, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther uh, described the building of the wall, they, uh, how that God allowed them to rebuild the temple, and other things going on there in Jerusalem. And so that's the post-kingdom era. Now, right after that, in your Bible, you find the five poetical books. And this is mostly written by David and his son Solomon. But we have Job, Job Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon... Remember, the book of Job describes a period of Genesis before, before the calling out of Israel. And so this is uh, really one of the first books in the Bible ever written. Uh, so the study, uh, then we, when we jump to the book of 2 Samuel, if you study the book of 2 Samuel, you'll understand David and Solomon uh, as you read through Psalms and you read through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. You can kind of understand a little bit more uh, about David and Solomon. And, and if you remember David, David made a lot of mistakes. He had a lot of enemies. He uh, ran a lot. And so sometimes we can go to the book of uh, Psalms and we can find those sweet Psalms of David and we can identify with some of the hardships that he went through because we go back to his life and we say, Oh, well, this is where he had to run from Solomon or Absalom. This is where he had to run from, from Saul. And this is a moment when he sinned with Bathsheba. And he writes about those things and his struggle with sin in Psalms 32 or Psalms 51. And so when you read through the book of Psalms, it's important, too, to go back and read through maybe First and Second Samuel and to kind of get a better understanding of who he is. Uh, but then you come to like the book of uh, Proverbs, and Proverbs is written primarily by Solomon, David's son, and, and he was made, and the Bible records uh, that when he became king, he felt insufficient for the task, and, and God offered him to get, do anything for him, and he said, God, just let me have wisdom to be able to lead and guide your people. And so God granted him wisdom and riches and wealth and beyond uh, measure, and, uh, and God uh, used Solomon, and he was considered one of the wisest men in the world, uh, and uh, truly Bathsheba said the wisdom of Solomon exceeded her expectations and, and many other people could testify to that too. So we have flowing from him that book of wisdom or Proverbs. But then Ecclesiastes is also written by Solomon, but it's at the opposite end of his life because what happened in Solomon's life is he walked with God, but then he allowed these women that he brought into his home to bring his heart away from God, and that uh, result brought him great travesty and hardships and, and different things. And he writes about uh, the emptiness of both money and both women and both everything else that this world has to offer and power. And he says, it is all vanity there in Ecclesiastes. And he writes about the, the shallowness of chasing after the world. This, we can understand that content, concept a whole lot better when we know who has written it. And that was by Solomon at the end of his life after he tasted everything. And he said, listen, it wasn't worth it. 
So what, and so Ecclesiastes 12 becomes very, very powerful in our, uh, in our understanding as he just calls us back to know God, to love God with all our heart. All right, from there we move from these books then into uh, the prophetic books. And these prophetic books are chronologically separated into three distinct uh, chronological periods. There's a pre-exile period, there's an exilic period, and then there's a post-exilic period. So let's look at the pre-exilic period first. This is before Israel was taken into captivity, and especially Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. And so while they were still in the land, and they were warning them of what was to come if they would not repent. And so you'll see Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was right at the tail end of that. We see him... Uh, not only uh, in the pre-exilic, but also some of his writings were, were during the exile. And so we see his, uh, his Lamentations was actually written during that time of exile. And so we see uh, that uh, that was there as well. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, and Zephaniah. Uh, and so these prophets challenged God's people and some nations to return to the Lord. And so next time you're reading through your, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, you can kind of place them as you listen to their messages. Okay, uh, for example, Jonah, uh, and God is using Jonah to warn people to turn back and repent to, uh, to, uh, and turn back to the Lord. During the exile, there was only two, uh, two books that were written during this time, both Daniel and Ezekiel. And they described the events of what uh, uh, during the time where God's people were hostage in foreign lands. And so they held great hope that God would not forsake them, but re restore them. And, and tr Daniel truly is a powerful book. The first half of Daniel is uh, mostly historical. The last half is mostly prophetic. And a tr tremendous book of the Bible and key to unlocking the, the book of Revelation. Uh, and then the one last period is the post-exile period. And so you have prophets there at the end, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, that uh, describe the Jewish exile struggle after they returned to the land. The northern kingdom, known as the Lost Tribes, was uh, taken to Assyria, and we don't hear much from them again. But only a remnant of Judah returned from Babylon to inhabit the land. Listen, as we look at this, what we see is... Uh, that God has placed these in an order for us that we can kind of see how they work uh, if, uh, if we, uh, especially if you understand how God's placed them and how they've been placed in the canon of Scripture, both is, uh, in the type of book and then in the different stages in which they were written and the different time periods. And so it helps us to be able to understand as I'm reading through this, as I'm studying my Bible, uh, how this is all working together cohesively. The chronological perspective of the Old Testament helps us to understand this background and the circumstances of each book of the Bible. And every Christian should have a, we should want this general understanding of the Old Testament uh, in the context and, and have a good understanding of at least several of the Old Testament books. And listen, there might be times where it's hard to get through some of these books, but I want to encourage you as you read through your Bible, as you're doing your Bible study, your goal is to capture one thought for your personal life to apply each and every day. All right, so we're going to come into the New Testament just very quickly, and it's, it won't take long to go through the New Testament. 
But in the New Testament, we understand that it followed a period of 400 years of silence. There was no new revelations from God during that time. Yet the final 27 books of the Bible would be given by God in just a few short decades. Uh, from about 45 AD to about 95 AD was the time it took to write the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, which was the common everyday uh, form of the Greek language in the first century. And so um, most people could read it in that time. And it was very, uh, very important that they would share these scriptures with everybody they could. And so, uh, so copies would be given, uh, and that's a whole other lesson in history there. But they would meticulously hand copy each of these and then give these and distribute these to other churches. And others would take them and read them. Uh, and so the Gospels give us uh, four different viewpoints, but not conflicting accounts of the birth, life, and ministry, and death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the Gospels demonstrate how Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and lay the foundation for the teachings of the entire rest of the New Testament. The book of Acts, and we mentioned it, was our historical uh, book, of the, uh, book of the New Testament, and it records the deeds of Christ's apostles. It, we see where the men were sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel of salvation. Acts tells us of the beginning of the church, how it grew rapidly. Uh, it shows the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of lives of the, of the men that submitted to Him. Then there were the Pauline epistles, uh, and we see this in Romans uh, through uh, the uh, through really, in my, my my humble opinion, through Hebrews, uh, what we see here, and so and they're all letters to specific churches. Even Philemon is one that was uh, specifically written to help uh, a brother. Uh, and, uh, and to have some reconcil reconciliation there. There's general epistles, epistles written by John and Peter and Jude that was there, and then finally wraps up with Revelation. Now, the New Testament tells us all about Christ's death on our behalf, what our response should be, how we should live uh, as brand new, uh, as dead to this world and alive unto God. And so the New Testament is something that helps us to focus on living for Jesus day by day. The, new, the Old Testament's foundational for understanding all that Jesus had taught us. And so the Old Testament is still viable. It's still important. We should not throw it out as so many uh, popular teachers teach today that it's no longer relevant. The Old Testament and the New Testament are still uh, uh, vital in our day-to-day -day study. It's all completely God's Word. As we grow in our study of the Scriptures, it's important that we have a grasp of the Word of God. And it's important that we understand how it all works together to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior tonight, I want to urge you to continue to read and study and, and give your lives, uh, you know, as believers, we should give our lives to the depths of, 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 of learning God's truth day by day. But listen, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, tonight the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Christ wants you uh, to let him in. Christ desires for you to, to uh, allow him to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin and redeem your soul. He stands there and he knocks. But listen, there's no door handle on the outside. He's not going to barge his way in. You've got to let him into your life. And you do that by repenting of your sin, asking God to forgive you of your sin and, and just calling upon Him as your Savior. And you see tonight, I know it's Wednesday, but I don't take anything for granted. I know that anybody in here could, be, uh, could not be saved and I wouldn't know, but God knows. And He knows tonight if you need to put your faith in Jesus. But Christian, let me just encourage you. We have a precious book. 
And I know that tonight it's been more teaching and not as much uh, in the preaching aspect, but I hope that my goal tonight was to help you understand how all of the pieces work together so that when you go home and you say, okay, I'm going to begin to read my Bible, and you begin to look through the pages of Scripture, you see how all of this begins to work cohesively together. And probably for many, the Old Testament can be the biggest question mark. How does this work with the other uh, things in Scripture. And, and that was just really my heart, that God would help us to be able to put all those pieces together before we ever begin Bible study, that we would see how God's work, Word works together. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?